Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we love when we can get a good laugh when we're together. We love when we can sing good songs. We love when we can pray together. And so we pray that now as we open up your word and what's been true for thousands of years, may it speak to us fresh life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I have a question for you. What makes a team a team? You don't have to really answer that back. But because it is the Super Bowl tomorrow and because my favorite team happens to be there, not by mistake, but by God's providence and sovereignty. <laughs> oh, so now we believe in chance? <laughs> what makes a team? On a football team, right, in a football game, what we find is that 11 players take the field from each team at any given time. 11 players. 11 players on offense, 11 players on defense. So is that what makes the team? No. How many more players are on that team? 50 what? 53. Where are all my sports fans? Bob, where are you at? Whoa, what was that? Huh? 53 players. And not only that, but they also have 10 players on the practice squad, if I, know, if I understand correctly. And the Broncos especially have 23 people on their coaching staff, not including, what we, not including four executive staff, eight vice presidents, um, the equipment managers, the medical staff, the physical therapy staff, the administrative staff, the grounds crew, the nutritional staff, the cheerleaders, and on and on and on we go. And one woman. You see, a team isn't just the people that wear the uniform. Now, it may be 53 guys that get to wear that uniform, and I believe 45 or 46 of them get to travel to games with them. And they may, get the, they may be the ones that get to wear the fancy uniforms and wear the helmets and all that fun stuff that we like. They are the ones that get the Super Bowl rings, and maybe some of their executives get Super Bowl rings along with it. But in order for those 11 players at a time to, make the, to, to get onto the field and play their game, there are hundreds of people that have to be a part of getting them to that place. Because all the players have to worry about is the play they're going to play and trying to stay out of trouble when they're not at, you know, at work. But you see, so many other people's efforts and work and the countless hours that they put into it help to get this team to where they are. Now, I know it's, it's really just for fun, okay? You don't have to be a Broncos fan. That's okay. But the truth is, is that just like a football team, any team, your favorite team, is about more than just the visible players on the field. The church is much the same way. Every one of you is an indispensable part of the church. As the pastor, as the elders, we may be some of the most visible players in this team because we, we're up here and part of that is teaching and part of that is preaching and part of that is praying for the flock. But just because we might be some of the more visible players on this team, it doesn't mean that we are the most important players. We couldn't do what we do if there weren't Sabbath school teachers teaching the kids. We couldn't do what we do if there weren't people putting schedules together for people to greet on Saturday mornings. We couldn't do what we do if deacons and deaconesses weren't preparing things for communion and picking up offering and counting the money 
We couldn't do what we do if we didn't have a treasurer who was having to painstakingly go line by line and updating the weekly, the weekly numbers. Every single one of you is an indispensable part of the church. Now, you may not feel like that's true, but we are here to encourage you, to ask you, as, as Kurt would often say, it's time for you to get some skin in the game. You may not be the most visible person, but you are just as indispensable. And just to show you that this is true, and now that you've obliged my Denver Broncos you know, illustration, I'd like for us to get to the meat of where we're going this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. And here's what it says. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit, one body. You may be here as an individual. You may not have spoken to anyone else that is in this room all week, and yet we are still a part of the same body of Christ. You know, if we, if we take the analogy of a football, right, and, and that's, what, you know, that's one of the only sports I follow, is that you can't have 11 guys on the field doing 11 separate things and expect for them to win the game. Right? All 11 guys have to be going in the same direction with the same game plan. They have to follow their routes. They have to do everything the right way, making as few mistakes as possible for them to have a chance to win a game because the other team's doing the same exact thing. They have to function as one. And just as a, as a football team functions as one, the church must also function as one. You see, so the problem is that we live in a society that's very individualistic. And so when you come to church, oftentimes you are coming to church as an individual with your own needs, with your own desires, with your own problems, with your own obstacles. And oftentimes the only thing you can see is your own, your own individual needs and desires. But when we come to the church, we must not live as society lives where it's just about me, but rather it must be about the people that are all around us. If you... If you watched any of the political debates in the last, I don't know, however long it's been going, I don't know how long. I try not to watch those things because they bring my soul and my spirit down on both sides, okay? One of the things that we find is that if you notice, all of them almost always begin with I. This is what I do. This is what I do. Someone will say, well, this is what I do. And the other person says, yeah, I agree with you, but you didn't do it that way. I did it this way back in 1992 or whatever, right? And it's always I, I, I. I did this. I can do this. And I understand that in politics, they're trying to get the nomination. They're trying to get the job of president. I understand that they're trying to do that. But it gets annoying because all they talk about is how good they are. And the truth is, we all know they're not going to accomplish one-tenth of everything they are promising that they are going to do. But it's not just in politics that this kind of attitude is present. It is everywhere in our lives. It's why relationships fail, because it's what I want, and you forget that just as important is the other person in the relationship. It's evident in everything that we do. Listen to the conversations that you have and see how often you start a conversation with I. 
See how often the other person begins their sentences with the letter I. I want, I think, I believe. The truth is, is that the Bible was written to communities of people. When the Bible writers wrote these letters and these Old Testament prophecies and the wisdom sayings, they were always read in the context of a group of people. So they probably didn't have sermons like we have them today with, you know, illustrations of sports, right? Because their sports were much more deadly back then. But what they would do is they would come together and they would open the Bible and they would just read sections of it because not everyone had access to the Bible. And then they would actually, like, argue about what it would say. (laughs) Kind of like Sabbath school, I think. I don't know. I I don't know that we do that in Sabbath school, but I'm saying, like, there's feedback. (laughs) Discussion. But you see, when the Bible writers had these deep truths to teach the people of God, it was always in the context of a group of people, of a body of believers who were wanting to uplift the risen Christ and to show the world that if Christ is lifted up, Christ will draw all people to himself. So just because our society and our culture promotes the kind of individualistic thinking that puts us ahead of other people, It doesn't mean that as Christians and followers of Jesus that we must subscribe to that. The Bible calls you to be counter-cultural. The Bible calls you to be subversive. Everyone around you is living by this individualistic sense of value and worth. But as the people of God, as followers of Jesus, it is not about you, but it is about all of the people that are around you. If you spent more time worried about other people, your relationships would be better and you would live a more fulfilling life. You are one with every believer here. And if that sounds weird because you're like, but I'm mad at this person or that person said this to me, like, I get it, it happens. It happens in marriages, it happens in like boyfriend-girlfriend relationships, it happens in friendships, it happens in work relationships. But when God talks to us through scripture about the church, he says that all of you, although individual, really are one. We are modeling the Trinitarian relationship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I can't get into that too much. It's on our website from three weeks ago if you want to go more in depth into that. But we are one. That is one way that we are countercultural in 2016 is that it's not just about you, but it is about the collective whole of this church, the Orange Seventh-day Adventist Church, but it's also about all of the Christian believers everywhere. The Bible doesn't say that you are one body and, and you're spread out over all, you know, like, how should I put it? You're not a family of bodies. If you believe in Jesus, you are a part of the one global family of God. We have Christians, brothers, and sisters all around us. And I think so often we worry more about how they are wrong about certain theological differences, and we forget that what we have in common is Jesus. And what the Bible tells us is that there is one God, one Spirit, one Lord, one baptism. See, if we could somehow figure out a way to be the church in a better way, I believe that our cities would be better places. It wouldn't fix everything, but we could reclaim what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so you are one. As a church in Orange, we are one, and we must focus our attention on moving in the same direction. 
If we are on mission, then we know that we are doing what God is calling us to do. So we are one in the body. But the Bible also tells us that you are one with Christ. We all know that Bible verse in the book of Genesis that says that you were made in the image of who? Of yourself? Of your favorite movie star? Of your favorite athlete? No, you were made in the image of? Which means that you carry this little bit, this representation of who God is and how you live your life. How you portray yourself to outsiders will either, sh will either have people see that God is a God of love, of mercy, and of forgiveness, or that he is a God of wrath and anger. And as a church, as a creation of the living God, you are made in the image of God to be an image bearer of God everywhere that you go. It starts in your homes, it gets passed down to your children, it goes to your workplaces. You are the living, breathing billboard for who God is. And I think if we took that message seriously, it might change the way we all live our lives. Now, how many of you have a favorite restaurant you like to go to? Most of us, right? I have like 100 of them. But, <laughs> but here's what I do. Give me, let me give you this example, and then it'll help to make more sense. Whenever anyone I know is going to Chicago, I tell them every single time, when you're in Chicago, you have to go to this one particular pizza place. It's the best pizza you're ever going to have in your entire life. Everyone always disagrees, but I still think it's the best pizza. <laughs> and I'm still going to recommend it. But I'm not embarrassed to recommend it. I want the whole world to experience the cheesy, you know, artery-clogging, you know, just you can only have one slice. You can only have one slice, that's the trick because it's so unhealthy for you. But I unabashedly recommend this pizza place to people because I think it's the best one. But see, you as an image bearer of Christ, as an image bearer of God, you are the living, breathing advertisement for this God. And the only way you can do that well is if you are daily connecting and abiding in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 says that anyone united to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Let me repeat that. Anyone united to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. You see, we spend so much time focusing on all of the negative things that we do, all of the bad things, all of our shortcomings, all of our sins. We spend so much time focusing on that that we then leave very little time to focus on the fact that the Spirit of God is one with us and God is working to eradicate and eliminate the sin in your life. Can I, just, can I just ask, does that sound weird that the Spirit of God becomes one with you? Is that kind of like, whoa, I didn't know the Bible said that. But it's true. And I think that if we focus more on abiding in the presence of Christ through prayer, through the reading of scripture, through the talking about it with each other, through Bible study, through all of these different things, the more that we do that, the more you will be able to see your life as a completely different, in a completely different sense. Now, I have in my notes 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. But I didn't write down what it said. And here's what it says. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. 
we live in a world where it's so much easier for you to focus on all of your shortcomings, all of your weaknesses, right? And it's easy because there's always someone to tell us what they are. But the biblical version or the biblical view of how life should be lived is when you are one with God and the Spirit of God is flowing in you and filling you up, you are a new creation. Because when God sees you, he doesn't see all of your shortcomings. He doesn't see all of your mistakes, but rather God sees the Spirit of himself in you. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Now imagine if there was a group of people filled with the Spirit of God on fire to do the work of God. Imagine what a group of people could do. But I think so often we always revert back to the individualism of our time. And instead of putting aside our selfish wants and our selfish desires, instead of putting all of those aside, we end up want, instead of putting those aside and coming together as one, because we don't come together as one, then it's hard for us to accomplish even greater things. And so we continue with the scripture. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member. And so now Paul is using your body. So think of your body. Indeed, your body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as you chose. I'm sorry, no, that's wrong. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as who chose. You see, God has placed every single one of you here in the city of Orange. You may not live here, but you gather here and we worship together and we raise up this worship to God. And God has each one of you here because he is choosing to have you be a part of the work that he is doing. Listen, listen. God could have done this on his own, and he probably would have been better off by doing everything on his own because God's perfect. But instead, he chooses imperfect people like you with all of your flaws and all of your sins and all of your mistakes. He chooses you to be his body and be his hands and his feet in this world. That should be the most humbling thing in your life. You see, all of the worst things that you think about yourself, God still chooses you to be his messenger. So even if you don't feel like you belong to the church, and maybe you feel like you're not the most talented, or you have the most areas in which you can improve, you are still a part of this body. And even if you are not the most visible member of this team, it doesn't mean that you are not indispensable. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head of the feet that I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Let me just give you one real life example of this. How many of you have ever stubbed your pinky toe? How painful is that? 
most of us would be like, do we even really need that pinky toe? Like just, but we, somehow it gives us that little extra bit of balance. So when God creates and arranges your physical body, everything with its purpose, how much more do you think God is arranging his spiritual community of believers? Every one of you is indispensable. But the truth is, is that many of you may not have some skin in the game. Many of you may come to church because you like to hear the music or you like to hear the preacher. Sometimes people will say, I stopped going to this church because I wasn't getting spiritually fed. And to which I tell them, we're well, not going to get that at our church either. Because we hope that you're getting spiritually fed at home. You see, the church isn't here to serve you, but the church is here so that we can serve each other and then serve the world. Because if you are only getting spiritually fed when you come to church, you have a very spiritual, anemic diet. If you are only getting your spirituality from me, first of all, I'm flattered, my ego. <laughs> but it's not enough. I give you 30 minutes of the best that I have on Saturday mornings. And even then, it's not the best that I have. It's the best that God can do through me which is already speaking miracles. But the truth is, is that you must be getting filled with the Spirit of God on a daily basis. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. You see, the biblical model of what the church is, is people, <laughs> people who care for one another. Are you guys all right? Do you need to take a second to get the <laughs> your adrenaline out? Yeah. The biblical model of the church is people who gather together in the name of Jesus, who are called out to be different than the way the world does things and live selflessly for each other. Does the church always do that? No. Why? Because we're sinful. Because oftentimes, even though the Spirit of God is filling you and even though God is transforming you, we still have somehow a way of self-sabotaging ourselves. So the church is never perfect, but the church is continually opening itself to the Spirit of God so that every day we get stronger and better to do the work of God. And so we are one, every single one of you, indispensable in the bigger picture of what the body of Christ is. And my challenge and my invitation as the pastor of this church is for you to continue to get some skin in the game, to be a part of the team. So you may not be the 11 players that takes that field, but those 11 players can only take the field and focus on what they have to do because there are hundreds of other people who are working together. Because I guarantee you, even if you're the equipment guy or you're the guy that washes all the gross uniforms, if your team wins that Super Bowl together, what will you say? We won. Fans say that too. I, I don't know if I'll say that. I'm not, I'm not that much of a fan, I think. <laughs> but every person in that organization can claim that they won. And so I just have some one last little bit of practical advice as we continue to work to be the church of God. Some of the things that get in the way are individualism, I already said that, are those negative limiting beliefs. But one of the other practical things I can share with you 
is that when we communicate with each other and when we act with each other, and what I'm about to give you uh, that's already up on the screen isn't just for how to treat church members, but if you use this in your relationships, every single one of your relationships, you will begin to see a difference. So if you're married or in a relationship, you're welcome, okay? You're going to see why in a second. Also, this is not ammunition for you to tell that other person. You see, you did one, four, five, and seven. They know they're doing it. Disconnecting habits when we kind of talk to each other. When you criticize someone, and this is not my work, by the way. This is um, like red, uh, it's, uh, it's what we call reality therapy. Okay, so this isn't me. But when you criticize, when you blame others, when you're complaining constantly about them, when you're nagging them, when you threaten them, when you punish them, or when you bribe or reward or, or you're trying to reward their behavior, these are disconnecting habits in every single relationship. And I share this with you because, I mean, if I just said, hey, the Bible says to be gentle with one another, everyone's going to interpret it differently. So I wanted to give you some more concrete, practical ways. So whenever you are doing any one of these seven things, you can know that relationships are not being strengthened. And all of these are so easy for us to do. Criticize, blame, complain, nag, threaten. No one wants to be around someone that's that way. But people do want to be around people that do connecting habits. When you're supportive, when you're encouraging, when you listen, when you're accepting, when you're trusting, when you respect others, and when you do have differences, to learn to find a way to negotiate, to come together. This is practical stuff that I would love for this church here in the city of Orange to learn from, to treat each other with connecting habits. Because I believe that if a church can be healthy, there is so much more that God can do through us. It's not that God still won't do amazing things. Of course God will. God God is going to do things in spite of us oftentimes. But if we can learn to be image bearers of a God who is constantly pursuing you, a God who wants the very best for you, a God who wants you to be his living, breathing advertisement, his living, breathing billboard of what this God is like, if we can learn and practice the way of love, if we can treat each other with that kind of love, acceptance, and respect, I truly believe that not only will people be able to see that God is real, because how hard, loving people you don't know is hard. But I truly believe that we can do more work together for the coming kingdom of God. So when we act as a body, and when we love like a body, we are beginning to, to experience a glimpse of what eternity will be like. Because in eternity, we don't know what's waiting for us. We really don't. Except that you will be there and God will be there. And we will be together and do life together and whatever God has planned. I don't think we're just going to be eating fruit all day. Pretty sure that's not what we're going to do all day. We don't, I don't think we're going to go through all of this just to do that. But whatever God has planned, and it will be amazing, I'm sure of that. But we are preparing for that as we begin to experience the fullness of the kingdom here. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, 
we don't always do church well. And we don't always act as the body very well. And quite frankly, God, sometimes we, we are sick. But we know that when we submit to you and surrender to your will, that you have a way of healing, that you have a way of repairing. So as we move forward as the Orange Seventh-day Adventist Church, may you teach us how to love one another. May you teach us how to support one another. And may you teach us how to proclaim your message in the most clear and effective and compelling way. That the world would see that you are the God who loves unconditionally. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.